You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking about a topic everyone loves to talk about. Because everyone loves a subject, at least that's what my guest says. His name is Brian Sands, and the name of the book is Everyone Loves Sex. So why wait? A discussion in sexual faithfulness. I mean, is it really important to wait for marriage if everyone loves sex so much? Why would you do that? Now, who is he? He he was a youth pastor for 13 years, and he spent the last six years serving as the director of campus ministries at Hope International University in Fertown, California. He also blogs regularly at www.everyonelovessex.org. Brian and his wife, Kaz, along with their two daughters, Abigail and Larry Rose, live in Orange County, California. So, uh, Brian, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Thanks for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. If my audience doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, I, uh, my, wow. Well, I started in the church world for about, I was in the church world for 13 years, and um, um and so working with high school students and college students, I worked uh, as a large church. So I did youth ministry. I oversaw youth ministry. Um, I started the young adults, uh, our fourth worship celebration service at the church that I was at for 13 years. So having been at a church that long, I, I saw lots of brokenness. I saw lots of hurt. I saw lots of um, just things have gone wrong and I wanted to have a voice in bringing healing and redemption to people who have messed up in this area specifically of sex of sexuality and so um, then getting into the university world and talking with students every single day and and quite often a lot about this topic here I wanted to bring a different um, perspective because I grew up in the um, you know in the '90s and the you know the white weight series and all that stuff and it, and was it was good and it had its moment, but I think nowadays um, you know students millennials in particular want a more of a holistic approach and so that's really what started me on this journey of writing this book. Yeah, you know, I'd like to say something also amusing about this book that when I got this book in the mail, my review copy, it comes with this great bookmark it says everyone loves sex and sex written in big red letters and i loved it so much i asked for extra copies of that from you which you sent and the thing it, it's so amusing because i go out and i have a book me everywhere just to try and get people's attention and then i'll leave this bookmark sticking out just prominent enough so everyone can see what it says just to see if someone will notice and uh, so far one person has noticed interestingly enough uh 
that one person happened to be my mother-in-law. So that led to some interesting conversations. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. Now, Brian, at the start of your story here, and we do need to go into the story, at the start of it, you, I think, are every guy's hero at the start of your story here. Because apparently you're young and maybe about 14 or 15, and you go up uh-huh. to six girls sitting together with a notepad trying <laughs> to get a phone number. You walk away with all six phone numbers right there. I mean, dude, what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> the secret was those, those girls probably didn't have a good upbringing because there's no way in the world anybody should have been giving me their phone number. I think I was 14 or 15, whatever mm-hmm. it was. They literally gave me their phone numbers, and I had a, a red notepad. And my buddies and I, we would just go up to girls and get phone numbers, and sometimes we would call them and and hang out, and sometimes we wouldn't call them. But for us, it was more of the challenge. And um, I guess the secret is we were bold and stupid. Mm. So, guys out there, if you are single and you're looking for someone, here's the t- tip be bold and be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> follow, the advice of we- follow the advice of Weird Al dare to be stupid. Ah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but, but for. for- as funny as the story is, it's also tragic because you do regret getting those numbers now, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, looking back on it, um, it was a time when I really started rebelling. You know, I'm part of Generation X and, you know, like the man's out to get us. People are against us and, you know, we hate everything. And, um, and, and that was just our whole generation. So we're like, we're going to do whatever we want whenever mm-hmm. we want. And and then just ended up, um, you know, meeting one of those girls that night and, you know, we hooked up and it wasn't anything spectacular with anything magical. It was just a hookup and, and that was it. And, and I think I was so young that I didn't really know how to handle that situation. And so uh, I would just stop talking to her and mm-hmm. would her phone calls. And I understand, unfortunately, for a lot of guys, that's common for a lot of girls. That's common because both people go into the event wanting different things. Usually, you think a girl is looking for someone who will love her, cherish her, care for her, be committed to her. Like, I was looking for sex. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now, when you write this book, you, you do want to be clear. Sex is not dirty, shameful, sinful, anything bad. Absolutely. Like, I mean, uh, I think when I was a youth pastor, I did this uh, white weight series so many years, time and time and time again. And looking back on some of those messages that, that I gave, the premise of why wait, obviously it makes sense. Obviously I believe it. I still believe it 110%. Yeah. But but some of the messages I did to communicate why it makes sense to wait, I think did more damage than good. Uh, for example, I, when I was a, uh, one night, there's probably maybe, I don't know, 70, 80 high schoolers there. And then the next night, 70 and 80 middle schoolers there, something like that. And I did a, this message about I got a rose and I said, I said, look at this rose. And for whatever reason, it was like focusing on girls. Um, and, and looking back on myself, I want to punch myself 
for what I did. But the rose, I said, I said, girls, I said, this represents you. And every time you hook up with a guy, every time you do this with a guy, every time you go too far with a guy, it's like you give a part of yourself away. And every example I would get, I would take one of the petals off the rose. And then I'd get to the climax of the story. And I said, look, and what do you have to offer? And, you know, you start hearing sniffles and tears and you start hearing all that stuff. And it's like, um, um, in my mind as a youth pastor, I'm thinking, there's a success. I won. I got this. Like, it's, it's amazing, you know, but, but now looking back on it, I realize that that was so the opposite of the message of the cross and the mess message of redemption, because the, the, the end goal was what do you have to offer? You're going to have nothing to offer. So therefore don't mess up. But the point is, uh, what I'm trying to get across in this book here is that there is redemption and there is hope and there is love. And so what do you have to offer? You have everything to offer because God is a God who redeems. And if he wasn't, then we would be in deep trouble. Yeah, I, I think a lot of girls get a message like being compared to, say, a chocolate bar. You break off a little piece every time mm. and such. And I mean, I definitely say giving your sexuality away does damage you. To some extent, of course, but it doesn't mean that you should go for your life viewing yourself as damaged goods because you can be redeemed. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, there's definitely consequences of mm. premarital sex, there's consequences of hooking up, all that stuff. And, you know, even the Bible side, like psychologically speaking and sociologically speaking, there's, there's a lot of implications of it. And that's really the first part of the book. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely. Um, uh, there's definitely implications to all of that, um, but you're right, and that's the message I wanted to emphasize and get across on, was that it is never too late to be redeemed. It's never too late to come to the cross and say, you know what, Lord, I need you, and he'll come in with his healing hand, and, and he definitely can bring healing. Sometimes that might be through a counselor. Sometimes that might be through um, even divine healing. It just it just depends on how God wants to move in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was a student in Bible college, a church I was attending at the time. I went to it one evening, and they were having a silver ring thing ceremony. You know, the true love uh-huh. rights kind of idea and such. So here I am, a single yep. college guy, sitting in the back of me, associate pastor gets up and he starts giving a talk to the young people there. He says, I want you to know if you all decide to have sex before you get married, you're going to be doing it for selfish reasons. I mean, seeing them like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can agree with that. And he said, now you need to think about this. What if you got pregnant? What if you got an STD? Think about the shame and guilt you could feel. Think about what you might have to tell a future spouse on a future wedding night. On and on, and I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, Excuse me, Pastor, but those sound like selfish reasons to me as well. Oh, and good point. Hardly anything was said about the joy of sex, just a little bit of lip service to it and such. And what I tell people about is, look, here I am, a college guy, sitting in the audience listening to this guy go on, and I am getting bored. And yeah. what I tell people is, look, if you are talking about sex and there's a college guy in the audience and he's getting bored, you are doing it wrong. Yes, right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting that, that you say that, um, 
Um, that, and that's that message. So like that associate pastor of yours, have, they, they've given this message, and it's mm. it's produced this shame culture. You know, don't yeah. do it. It's a shame. And now they feel like they have nothing left to give. They feel like um, there's so much hurt in their lives, and uh, and many of them will walk away because they feel like that they're beyond saving. And I think messages like that do way more harm um, than good. And I definitely wanted to stay away from that shame culture that's you know that's been so prevalent over the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, I think a lot of it came also with uh, Joshua Harris's book "I Kiss Dating." Goodbye. I've heard several yes. people who have been damaged by that book. Absolutely. And what's interesting is recently I was reading something that Joshua Harris is thinking about recanting from uh, that book. And mm -hmm. uh, he's not quite there yet, but he he is on the verge from this article I read to, to recanting it. So that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So fast his forward. Next book, his next book. Oh, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead about his next book. I was just joking around saying his next book should be a hug dating hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving forward today, then, we've heard so many messages about sex being shameful and dirty and such. So let's look at a title here and say, Brian, do you love sex? Yes. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as one who's been married now for seven years, I agree with you, then. I'm probably like yep. me, guys, and my wife says, that's all you ever think about, isn't it? And, <laughs> I, and I always reply the same way, that I think about many, many other things, like, hey, um, um, how, um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what, we, we laugh so much, but I mean, something, I mean, if there's a new movie that comes out, and we want to see it where, you know, as soon as we have time on the schedule, we have the money, we'll see it. If there's uh -huh. a video game we want to get, as soon as we have the money and we can afford it, we go out there and we get it. If there's a book, we go out there and we get it. I mean, we, yep. Don't, yep. we don't wait for these things. And here you have yep. sex, which we say is so awesome and wonderful. Why should you wait for that? That is a million-dollar question. And so... Uh... Here's how I would um, approach that. So answering that question, um, there, I, I'll give you the, the, the general answer, but really the specific answer really depends on the person I'm talking to mm -hmm. because depending if I'm talking to a millennial, if I'm talking to a baby boomer, um, if I'm talking to a male or a female, uh, it, just, it just really depends. But so generally, here's, here's my general response here. Hold on a second. Hold on. Sorry. Here. My sorry. My daughter's here, and there you go. Go into the room, sweetheart. Okay. Okay. So here's why I, I think it makes sense to, to wait. Where the, the here's the general answer is this: is one from a biblical perspective, um, it's God's design for us, and we've seen time and time again throughout scriptures what happens when we go against God's design. We hmm. see, you know, heartbreak. We see destruction. We see. Um, um, we see shame. We see we see all this stuff that you know when we go against what God wants. Um, from a psychological perspective, if I'm talking to a, a psychology student, let's say, or someone who's interested in psychology, I'll talk 
to, to them about all of the chemicals that's, that's released during sex. I look at, um, you know, there's vasopressin, there's uh, dopamine, there's estrogen and testosterone, and the big famous one is oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And oxytocin is the um, um, cuddle hormone or, or the love hormone. It's like, it's like if all the hormones got together and voted for the best hormone of the year award, oxytocin would win because it creates trust and it creates a bond unlike any any others. And so as I look at oxytocin um, and, and as I read all these academic peer-reviewed articles about oxytocin and about the power of sex, what oxytocin does it's released in the deep limbic system part of the brain, um, and um, and it creates a bond between the partners. And whether it's just a hookup, whether it's just friends with benefits, whether it's whatever the case is, there 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 is a physiological bond that's created during sex, just scientifically speaking. Um, and an interesting part about this hormone oxytocin. It's released, like I said, in the deep limbic system part of the brain. And as scientists have discovered the brain, because they, they do cool things like that and study the brain and how it functions and how it works, they've learned that this part of the brain in a woman is larger than in a man's. Mm-hmm. So during a sexual encounter, a woman is releasing more of this chemical than in a man. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of implications for that, implications like, why does that 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 why why does why does she like stay with that guy who beats her or what, why does she so many implications implications for that? Um, but if I go back to Genesis, another reason why it makes sense the way and this is more the holistic approach here tying in oxytocin with this next thought is that um, the the Bible says that you know, you know you'll leave your father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And it's a passage I read at every single wedding. I just did a wedding yesterday in the Central Coast, and uh, and I read that passage again. But here's what's fascinating about that passage. The word one flesh there. I was having breakfast, and I was having lunch with Trimper Longman, uh, mm-hmm. an Old Testament scholar. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, because he wrote a book called God Loves Sex. Excellent and book. read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, God loves sex? Like, I want to read a book that's titled this and i read it and and i emailed trimper and he got back to me and he's a scholar of scholars like Mm -hmm. he he's a legend and and he was humble enough and kind enough to get back to me so i was really appreciative of that uh but but i told him i read the book i really appreciate it i told him about my project he said yeah come on you know come on over we'll have lunch so over lunch i was talking about this passage and he and here's what he told me he said brian he says this passage this one flesh, this phrase, this is the only time in the Hebrew scriptures that this phrase is ever used. The only time in the Old Testament one flesh is used like that. And he said that's very significant. And he said the word one is the word akkad. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, you know, one. It's, 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 there's unity within the one. Yep. For example, when, um, when the Bible talks about, and all of Israel cried out in one voice. It's not mm-hmm. saying that Moses or Joshua or whoever got all the Israelites in a straight line and said, okay, on the count of three, we're all going to, yeah, we're going to cry out. No, the idea was that there was unity within that declaration they're making. There's unity within um, that resolve, whatever the case may be. And so that's the idea with Akkad here. There's unity within the one. It's similar to the language you use with the Trinity, you know, uh, 
it's it's one God revealed in three persons. However, mm-hmm. we want to figure that. You know, that's a, a tough topic. But but there's unity within the one, and that's that's the power of a cod. Then we have flesh, which is body and flesh and bones. And and he says, what's going on here is that they're uniting a bonding um, of a physical nature, of an emotional nature, and of a spiritual nature. And I think sometimes people leave out the spiritual part. But, but it's a uniting of a physical, emotional, and a spiritual connection. Now, I was mentioning oxytocin, why it makes sense to wait. But, but if we think about oxytocin, the way I process it in my mind is that oxytocin is just the scientific way of explaining the best way they could explain one flesh. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. The more science discovers things about God, the more there is uh, agreement and understanding. And and for me, as I take this holistic approach, I look at the sciences um, and as I look at scripture, it makes sense that on a holistic level to wait. Now, is it easy to wait? Absolutely not. No. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with you on Trim Prolongman. He is an excellent scholar. I've read some of his stuff. I'd like to get him on the show sometime. And I have indeed read God Loves Sex. Because awesome. now, nowadays, if I see most any Christian book on sex, I'll try and pick it up. And <laughs> hey, hey, this is a this is research that I have to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus, you know? Uh, someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking that there was a time I was, we were visiting some friends, and I was talking to their daughter, who I think is around 18 or so with them, and she's talking, talking about this guy that she's dating, and says, well, I'm hoping he's going to pop for questions soon, but I'm thinking he's not going to. And I was a bit curious. I said, why is it? I said, well, he wants to get financially secure and such, and he wants to travel first. Mm. And as soon as I heard that, I said, you know, that strikes me as a concern. I mean, financially mm-hmm. secure, finishing school, whichever one it was, that's understandable. I said, when he wants to travel first, that tells me right there, you are not a priority. He mm. wants to do his fun, and then... He'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. And then as we started having a conversation, I started suspecting that yeah, they could be living together or someone close and just gave the best talk that I could and didn't get any preachy with it, didn't use any Bible or anything, just point a couple of facts. I said, look, if you do something like living together and things like that before marriage, you are essentially testing each other. Yeah. And it's yeah. treating each other as an object. And I said, you know, there was some study that was done asking people who were living together what they thought about the relationship, where they thought it was going. One group answered, oh, we're on the path to marriage. It's not going to be too long. We're getting there. The other group answered, oh, yeah, things are going fine. And I said, you know who is in each group? And she couldn't figure it out. My wife was up here, and she, and she said, Okay, here's the answer. The first group was the women who Mm. were living together. The second group Mm. were the men. And indeed, why should the men marry at that point? Because they're getting everything they want already. Yeah. 
That's a fascinating study. If you could email that to me, I would love to read that, Nick. That's very fascinating. If I can and, find it again. It, yeah, if you can, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. But but with all my research, it just it, it connects with exactly what you're saying, and that doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me. Um, I just think it's amazing that someone actually did that. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I could get into so many young people's lives. What I tell women especially about this is say, women... Believe it or not, you control the market here because yeah. the guys are the go-getters. The guys uh-huh. know what they want and they're going out and getting it. And every time, whenever you sleep with a man, you're essentially telling him, here's how much I'm worth. Mm. I mean, are you worth dinner and a movie? Three dates mm. a month? Engagement? Or are you worth a lifetime commitment? Yeah. Yeah, and I tell you what, one of the greatest compliments I got was from my wife when um, she said, "She said, Brian, because you're able uh, to wait, you know, because you know, I, I made this commitment after after I met that girl um, way back when I was fourteen, so mm-hmm. twenty five, thirty, I don't know how many years ago it was, a long time ago, um, and um, I made this commitment." the sexual faithfulness that I'm going to wait. And, and I did. And at the altar, I was able to cut off the bracelet and give it to her. It's a beautiful moment. And, um, just a great moment. You know, you can see it just had Brian, Brian Kazan's wedding. It's on BMO, I think. But anyways, um, she said, she said, I don't have to worry about being compared. I don't have to worry about you cheating on me because you are a man of your word. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, it's, um, one of the important parts of waiting is it creates more trust among partners. Mm-hmm. It creates more intimacy among partners because it's two people making this commitment and living and following through with that commitment. And that builds trust like none other. Because mm-hmm. if we just give into the natural desires, the desires that we have within us, um, that anybody can do that. But mm-hmm. it takes um, strength. And it takes really a community of people around you to help you stay faithful. And when that happens, your relationship starts off stronger than you ever possibly thought it could be. I have to agree with you there on how the compliments you get can be so good. A couple of years or so ago, my wife and I were invited to New Orleans for the Defend the Faith Conference. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting at a taper with... A bunch of people. One of them is Gary Habermas, who yeah. mm-hmm. we know very well because he's kind of a man who introduced us to one another. And then he's also I read that, that you got some great connections like that because I've listened yeah. to a lot of Gary's stuff over the years. He he's also the guy who married us, and, <laughs> and so we're seeing and somehow talks about marriage comes up, and. Someone tells us about B.B. Warfield and about how when he was on his honeymoon with his wife, there was an incident with lightning that hit his wife and she was paralyzed for the rest of her life and he never took care of, and he never stopped taking care of her to the day one of them died. He was there by her side constantly. And so yep. Gary hears and says, huh, 
So, Nicholas, if I am in the alley, would you do that? And I'm just doing the headlights right then, immediately. <laughs> and one of my friends who's seen me on the tape says, he absolutely would. Wow. And Great. I was so thrilled to hear that. I went up to him afterwards privately and I said, I want to thank you for that compliment you gave. And he said, what compliment? And I told him about it. And he said these, these words. And I've told him, I said, you know what? When I was at that conference, I got a lot of good comment, compliments on intellect and projects and such, didn't I? He said, yes, yes, you did. I said, honey, I cannot remember a single one of them. But I remember wow. this one. And, he, and what he said to me was, Nick, you adore Audi. And everyone here can see it. Mm. So I, I tell people, if you compliment me on intellect and such, that's really nice to hear. But it, it is so good for a man to hear something like, you are really good to your wife. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about sex, I mean, we've heard a lot of good, but there can sadly be a, a whole lot of pain. And it's not just for girls getting hurt by sex. Guys can get hurt a lot by sex, too, can't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Without it, no more is that guys don't get hurt and the girls are the only ones who get hurt. But that's, 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 that's not that's not, that's not true. Yeah. You have a story in the book about a guy who, in fact, went out and regularly was pretty much just hooking up with any girl that he could, and it becomes a life of bondage at that yeah. point, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I think you're, are you referring to Drew, Drew's story? I think so. Yeah. So Drew, yeah, Drew, man. I mean, talk about, talk about the guy. I mean, he, he, you know, uh, you know, I, Drew and I are buds to this day. Um, and, you know, Tim telling me his story was still powerful. Um, he started at a really young age. And um, um, even with um, this older girl, when he must have been six or seven years of age, something like that, maybe eight or nine. Nine at the late at the at the latest in terms of at the oldest in terms of his age, but this girl was probably like five, six, seven years older and had his first experience then, and then from there just started this path of, you know, he felt like he had to conquer women and mm-hmm. and all of that, and um and he, and he became a sex addict. He would sleep with women and women, and and he told me he wouldn't even go search for them; they would just come to him. Like he was a good-looking guy, he was caring. Um, um, you know, on the outside anyways, it, it seemed like all that, like he had it all together and, and, um, and he went in the military, he still found women still sleeping and would sleep with different women all the time, all the time. And, and from, you know, uh, a non follower of Christ's perspective, you look at that and go, man, that guy's a stud. He's able to get all his women. What a, what a stud. But as I'm talking to him about this, he brought me fulfillment. And, and I think really what he was saying is exactly what you're saying, Nick, is that it created bondage. It created a trap. It created something that to this day he's still working through. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has two beautiful kids. Uh, he, he has remarried. Um, and he's working through a lot of this stuff and has come through a lot. Um, he is a, a leader of Celebrate Recovery because of being a sex addict as well as an alcoholic and drug addict. and. Uh, he's been sober now from all those things, I think, for seven years. But but the things that we think will bring us happiness and fulfillment and joy, they don't. Like the mm-hmm. world tells us, here's what freedom will give you. 
And here's what freedom is. Freedom is doing whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. So you want to go sleep with her, you know, go sleep with her. You want to go, you know, um, sleep with that guy, do that. You want to go sleep with that girl, whatever it is, that's freedom. And then because, because who are, you know, who are we to tell anybody they can't do anything? Mm -hmm. Because when we tell, start telling people how to live lives, then, then we're taking away their freedom. So they think freedom is doing whatever they wanted to do. But, but that logic kind of breaks down, um, and and my approach to everything, Nick, is, is way more of a conversation. And, and I with people and uh, and I I talk to so many people who are so far from Christ, and it's fascinating to just to talk to them and have conversations. And so, for the listeners listening to to all your listeners, my encouragement to you first is is um, is create relationships with those outside of our Christian culture, and create relationships with those who think differently and don't don't just do it to win them as a project do it because you genuinely care and do it because you want to have a conversation and you want to get to know a different perspective and 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 you'll see God working through you and 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 in through your faith but mm-hmm. but with the whole freedom idea um, you know like a while back <laughs> a while while a while back now I was doing really good with my, my diet I was exercising, and man, I, I was feeling good. I had more energy. I could keep up with the kids better, and uh, I'd wake up in the morning, you know, you know, ready to go. Well, for the most part, still wake up slow in the morning because mornings are just of the devil. But, <laughs> but I mean, I would just be ready to go and ready to make things happen. And I just felt good because working out. I, um, and I suppose someone would say, "Is like, dude, if you want to eat that, like." bacon cheeseburger just do it man dude if you want to go and whatever it is do it you know that's what freedom is but my my response would be that's not freedom because if i keep eating those things now that's going to make me feel lethargic it's going to make me gain weight back all the weight that i lost you know um and and really it creates bondage and then what we see in the new testament is true freedom and true freedom is when we live according to how we're designed to live. Because in the story, I and, and I write about so many different stories of just students of mine. And I work at a Christian university. <laughs> students of mine, quote, live the life of freedom. Uh, there's two girls I write about that, that they had abortions and they were living together with their with their um, partners. And, um, and then there's stories of brokenness that comes through all of that. But there's consequences to, to everything. And freedom, biblical freedom, is when we live how we're designed to live. Mm-hmm. Because when that happens, when, when our will aligns with God's will, that's when we start living the life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, that I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. But what happens is we substitute life with the fullest with all these other counterfeits. And, um, and, and that's really you know, when we get to that part of the conversation, when we're talking to people, is when you got to really start getting underneath the surface. There's always a reason for premarital sex. There's always a reason for uh, drinking. There's always a reason for drugs. There's a reason for these things. And that's the stuff that, in relationships, that it'd be good to help get underneath the surface of, of these things as opposed to focusing on the actual act themselves. You know, I, I think it's important when you talk about your friend Drew having a sexual addiction. We need to be clear what that is, because I think there's a lot of wives up here who could say, I think every husband in America has to have a sexual addiction, doesn't he? I mean, I mean what, what are we talking about? 
Yeah, well, first of all, for the wives who say their husbands have a sexual addiction, they should be thankful for that <laughs> because they want it with the wife and not with anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so sexual addiction, um, and I'm no expert in this at all, but just from Drew's story is that he, he for him it was a conquest of multiple women and of different women. He always had to have this, and he was always hoping that the next time would bring some type of joy or fulfillment, and it never did. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that's the difference there is that for him, it was a conquest. He didn't care if he knew them or didn't know them. As long as he could conquer that and have sex with these different women, you know, all the time. then for him, you know, it's, it was like it satisfied some hunger within him. I think what you could say to wives is if your husband seems to be sex crazed, but he's avoiding sex with other women and he's avoiding pornography you probably don't really have to worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to my buddy uh, a few months back, and he says uh, him and his wife have uh, have sex about every night. I see you're lying to me, man. Every night? He goes, yeah, at least six times a, night, six times a week. And I'm like, and she's cool with that? She's like, He's like, yeah. And I'm like, dang, all right. <laughs> Yeah, and kind of like, what's your what's your secret? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, I think what I'd say if I dig into another part of it, because uh, pornography definitely is another damaging way of sex being out there, and it used to be thought pornography was a man's problem, but now there are a lot of women who are viewing pornography as well. Yep. You look at the stats, and the stats just um, are stats just show continually the rise of women watching pornography. So it's definitely not a not just a guy's thing. And, you know, maybe sure, maybe it was you know, seventy years ago. I, I I don't know, but what this what the research is showing now is that women are watching pornography um, at a, at a high rate as well, and. Again, with pornography, you got to really ask the question is why? Mm-hmm. Why are we watching pornography? Um, it's more than just the physical. So that's the first thing. And, and the second thing is we've got to really consider the damaging effects of pornography because 20 years ago, if you wanted to watch porn, um, you had to go and find a magazine somewhere and look at pictures. And it was just pictures. There were no movies, really. Uh, I mean, obviously, there were movies, but they were very difficult to get. For the most part, the average mm-hmm. person, you're going to get a magazine and, and look at pictures of, of naked people in the magazine. So that's, that's it. But nowadays, with this fast-paced porn on the uh, Internet, that our, our brains can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it changes the chemistry of our brains where it's just nonstop. Mm-hmm. It just continues um, and continues to want more. Um, you know, you talk about dopamine. Dopamine is the got to have it chemical. You know, you see a chocolate cake and that dopamine kicks in. It's like, dude, you got to get that cake. You got to get it right now. And what happens is when we start watching porn online, um, the dopamine kicks in. We go, oh, I got to watch it, you know. But then after watching a certain porn, then, then, then your brain is not satisfied and you got to watch the next level up and then you got to watch the next level up before you know it. You're watching some hardcore, like destructive, you know, all porn is destructive, but hardcore 
like crazy porn you never thought in a million years you would watch. Why? Because porn is rewiring your brain. Mm-hmm. And um, and so some people say, well, you know, uh, I, I just watch it with my spouse, you know. Um, then And then that's okay because it's two consenting adults watching it. But it's not because one is when you watch porn, you are giving into um, – um, you're giving into this lie that on the screen it's just it's just two consenting adults or a group of consenting adults having sex when when studies have shown that most of the case that's not the that's not the the way it is that there's lots of times there's coercion behind it lots of times there's drugs behind it there's lies within that community there's abuse within that community mm-hmm. when you watch porn you're you're um um, you're supporting that type of behavior. And then we have sex trafficking. A lot of um, the women that we see on screen there are, are um, you know, involved in some form of human trafficking. Um, and more and more women are coming out saying, you know, this, was hap- this has happened to them, but they didn't even realize that they were being filmed or taped and taken photos of and all this stuff. So, so pornography is destructive to the brain, um, and, and our brain can rewire. There's actually a great TED Talk on this. Just type TED, TED Talk and porn, um, and it'll come up. I don't remember who it was. Um, and, and, and then, but yet at the same time, you got to understand that what we're watching is not really what we think we're watching. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's destructive. I think one of the benefits for men that they see in that is they can get all the benefits of being a man, supposedly, Without any of a the risk, they don't actually have to, you know, go out there and get a real woman. They just sit yep. there and yeah. dial one up. Yep. Yeah, because because with the internet, lady, it's not real. It's fake. It's make believe. It's makes you feel like a like a stud, and then that's it. But there's nothing real about it. Yeah, and what so many women, I think, don't understand about it is that when when a man feels aroused and such. He really feels like a man, and that's very empowering to yeah. him. And yeah. th- th- that, that, that can be bad news when it comes to porn. That can also be good news for women who are married because they, no one can make your husband feel like a man like you can. Yeah. And th- even people who don't watch pornography now, they're getting affected by it because... Women, especially, are being told to do more and more things because the guys in their lives are so caught up in porn that regular dating stuff and such just doesn't interest them. Yep, right. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've even heard of stories of men who, who... when they're even with their own wives, they have to have a porn magazine nearby because they can't get aroused anymore yep. just by their wife's body. Yep, and that goes back to the dopamine and to how watching porn um, changes our lives and mm-hmm. changes the, the the actual chemistry of the brain. It, it does major damage to our brain, and, um, and most of the time people aren't aware of it. What's interesting is that re- uh, researchers wanted to study the effects of pornography uh, on, on that what it has on um, romantic relationships. And so um, they, they did like five different studies. 
Mm. And the first three studies demonstrated that pornography um, consumption is related to weakened commitment mm. to a partner. So, so someone watching porn, their commitment to their other significant other is weakened. The, uh, study four demonstrates that the more pornography one watches, the more likely one is to look into a different romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, you know, oh, that person over there, I like to experiment and do different things with that person. And then the fifth and the final study showed that um, there's an association between pornography consumption and being physically unfaithful to one's partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is just a scientific study that um, I forget what university was done at, but it was it it just shows you like how devastating this stuff is. Mm-hmm. And. That it's not a shock that so many men who do this can also turn out to be rapists and such eventually. Because yeah. the women at that point are just objects. And when I meet yeah. men who are who are using pornography and I and they're married and I know them where I say, Look, you know, what you're doing every time you do that is you're sending a message to your wife if she finds out saying, You are inadequate. You are yeah. not enough to satisfy me. Yeah, and I think that's a great that's a, that's a great point. Um, just the hurt that comes along with it when um, when one partner is watching and the other one finds out. Um, there's there's a betrayal there. There's a hurt there. There's a um, uh, distrust that happens. And um, for the guys and women who are listening to this, um, if you're watching pornography and and you just can't stop and you you see the the negative effects it's having on your life. Please see a, a counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a website to go to is aacc.net, American Association of Christian Counselors, mm-hmm. aacc.net, and there you'll find um, top quality Christian counselors, uh, and you can find counselors who specialize in this area. Um, and it's don't be ashamed to go talk to a counselor because. You need to get help. Don't don't keep this hidden because the more you keep it hidden, the more power it's going to have over you, and the more power it's going to have over you, the the more your life is going to go uh, down the tubes. The more your life's going to be out of control. But when you allow things to come into the light, that's when you really give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to start working in and through your life. He's not going to force himself on you to, to bring healing, but but you've got to take that first step to say, yes, I need some healing because I am struggling in this area here. And talk to a professional counselor because they're trained in helping you through this. Yeah, I don't remember you mentioning this in the book, but I know many single guys come to me and they want to say, you know, I don't do porn and such, but I am home to get married, but right now I struggle... Should I be concerned about masturbation? Mm-hmm. What would you say to a guy like that? I I, I always just go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, if you ever have Trimper on your show, uh, ask mm-hmm. him about that because he has a different, totally different take on it, which is very fascinating. I I, I I go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and you know Jesus is is there, and he says, even if you think think it, it's like you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, does every college guy do it? You know, yeah, most like most of them. But as followers of Jesus, it's not easy following what Jesus wants us mm. to do. 
It's not the easiest. It is challenging at times. It's all mostly challenging because he calls us to a higher standard. And so if we're committed to really following Christ, um, let's read the Sermon on the Mount and let's read and learn the life of Christ and try to let our life honor the life of Jesus because he is our Savior. And so when that happens, then we start this, the fancy Bible word is sanctification and becoming more like him. It doesn't mean we won't suffer or it doesn't mean we won't um, stumble, but it means that we really want to live the standard that Christ has called us to. So in terms of masturbation, um, yeah, I think Jesus is pretty clear. You know, if you think of it, then then then, then you do it. You know, um, that's my quick answer. There's way more to it than yeah. that. But Trimper Longman is way better at explaining this topic than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I would like some clarification on this point because, I mean, what, if a guy does ask a right, on some level he is thinking it, usually yeah. for the most part and such. And yeah. we don't want to say thinking about sex is automatically wrong. In fact, when you go to premarital counseling, you're encouraged to think about and discuss sex. So oh, yeah. When yeah. do you think it becomes a problem? Um, I think I think thinking about it and then having this uh, unhealthy lust is, I think, the distinction. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, without a doubt, in premarital counseling, lots of times you do talk about the physical act of sex and, and all of that. And and just if I could take a quick step back, is that, that sex is, is good. Like mm -hmm. sex, God's design for us, you mm -hmm. know, from the very beginning. It is a gift that God has given us mm -hmm. that we are to celebrate and that we are to honor. Um, and part of getting a gift is you want to honor that gift. So how do we honor the gift of sex is, is we, we use it within its proper context. And and so that's just something important for us to, to understand that. That, that this is a wonderful gift. And I think part of life, this journey of life that we're on, is just figuring out how, how do we navigate um, life and how do we navigate what, 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 what our lives look like and how we honor God. And so um, I think I backtracked too far because I forgot my train of thought, Nick. <laughs> it was about thinking about sex before marriage and such. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thinking about it, yeah, I mean, yeah, thinking about it is just what you do. I think when it comes to lust and of a conquering and when we start treating um, those thoughts, they start becoming, uh, the other person I think starts becoming more like an object than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think the thinking to the, to the lust is that distinction for me. And, um, you know, and yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now anyways. Mm -hmm. Tell us, because um, we've already talked a little bit about Drew and my story about a guy getting damaged by sex. How about Maddie? Yeah, yeah. Maddie, um, another one of the students at, at Hope, and um, uh, she was betrayed, and, and uh, uh, so Maddie came to my office, or no, I mean, well, yeah, came to my office, and then uh, she met with my wife and me just to tell her story, and she met this guy, and they were they, they dated for like five years, and like the first three years they didn't even um, the first three years they didn't even have sex or anything. But when she turned eighteen, she saw she said, "Oh, I'm a you know I'm an adult now." She saw all her friends were 
kind of having sex and, you know, she felt like she did the responsible thing. And then her and her uh, boyfriend, I think I named him Enrique, if I remember right in there. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> um, you know, because you got you to change everyone's names. So, mm-hmm. so Enrique, they had similar backgrounds where, you know, there were some broken homes, their parents remarried. They were the oldest ones in the family. They had all these connections. And so at 18, they both made a decision, hey, let's have sex. Bam. So they did it. And then and then shortly after that, there was conflict at home for other reasons. And then Maddie was then kicked out, moved in with her boyfriend. Um, they moved in together and they did all that. And uh, so after they, they moved in, things were good for a while. But then he started getting just kind of distant, kind of talking to this other girl, kind of um, just just um, getting uninterested in her. And then, and then shortly after that, uh, she takes a pregnancy test and, and it's positive and she tells him about it. Um, and, and, um, and he didn't respond the best. He, he basically just said, well, you know, do whatever you want with it. Um, like, I don't care. I don't, you know, I don't want to be a part of raising this child. And, and so, so anyway, so long story short, she ended up having an abortion and he wasn't really supportive the entire time. And, um, it just, you know, and hearing that story when she told it to us, uh, must've been a couple years ago now, um, it just heart wrenching because, here she is trying to do what's right, trying to think she was an adult, but loving, trying, but she did love the Lord, but she just kind of got consumed with living with this guy. And then when this came, she had an abortion and then she had to work through all of that. And, um, and to this, to this day, cause I still, I still know her. Um, I, I still think she's working through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think really went wrong in the story? Because, you know, the couple, they're dating for a while, they have sex, and then things go down here. And what differentiate from, say, you know, your story can be like mine, my wife and I, we didn't even live together or anything, we dated, then we get married, then we have sex, and things work out fine. So what's the difference about sex when you wait to, to after you get married than before you get married? Yeah, I, I would say... Um well, if uh, one thing is I don't want to communicate if people do have sex that they can't have a fulfilling, exciting life because because they can't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's not ideal, but but many, 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 many people make it work and um, and, and and all that. But that's not the best case scenario. Right. Um, I think sometimes what happens is um, we're not ready for it yet. And when you're not ready for something and you engage in something you don't really know how you're going to respond or how you're going to react to it and in this situation it i think it was just a volatile relationship from the get-go mm-hmm. i think it was just destructive and and maybe they thought sex would bring healing sex would bring them closer together uh so there's so much more underneath the surface that's going on with all of that and and so they made the jump they started having sex they moved in together and then, then, then she got pregnant. Um, 
and then she had the abortion. But so I think there's many factors that, that, that played into it. The best case scenario, um, and, and by the way, with Maddie, God has definitely done an amazing work in her life and, and um, just seeing her, what God has done in her life is, is amazing and redemption and what she's doing now is, 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 is great. But, but the best case scenario is, is, um, is to, to wait, is to live for God. But just if we live for God and we do what's right in, in this relationship, um, in, in a relationship, it doesn't mean that that marriage is going to be successful. Um, I, I think you're setting yourself up for success, but it doesn't mean it necessarily will be successful because regardless of when you get married or regardless when you're in a relationship, you both have got to be committed to make it work. And if you're both not committed to making it work, the marriage is not going to work. And it's the same thing when you're dating. If both people aren't committed to being sexually faithful, uh, chances are you're not going to be sexually faithful because there will be times when one has to be strong and the other has to be um, strong because one will be weak and then one has to be strong and vice versa and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so obviously the best case scenario is to wait because I think it creates trust. It creates um um, it creates empathy with one another. It creates a relationship where you focus more on the emotional relationship than the physical relationship. And then when you get married, it's like the culmination of all of that. And you get to express all that in sex. That's the ideal situation. But even in the ideal situation, things fall apart and break apart because we live in a sinful world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I celebrated seven years just last month. Together. Hey, us too. <laughs> we just yeah. celebrated seven years as well. <laughs> yeah, I think our weddings were extremely close. When was your wedding again? June 18th. You were just about a month before us. Ours was on <laughs> July 24th. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it takes hard work and sacrifice. I mean, as I've told her, I said, you know, I don't understand it somehow. Some nights, we can go to bed and we've had a big fight or something and we are furious with one another. Yeah. And then the next morning we can wake up and we can be all lovey-dovey with one another. And such <laughs> as that. that makes no sense whatsoever to me, but it happens. And, yeah. and I also tell guys, guys, really, something better. we often complain about how women don't give sex enough and such. So guys, you also have to be doing your part and strive to be as romantic as possible. Yes, yes. Now, with, with these kinds of stories here, like Maddie's, it is important to, that we can hear all these negatives and think that everything is so dark and gloomy, but we really need to look at the positives, too. What are the positives about sex? Uh, positive of sex. I mean, um, one is it it it's like a um, it's it's a physical expression of of your love. It is um, a chance to to reunite and to be the closest to someone you absolutely love, and mm-hmm. that no one. Then ideally, this is you know the best case scenario. You know, what I mean, yeah. this is the closest you'll be to anybody in the entire universe. Yeah, and and you get to share that with one person, and 
that's the only person you get to share it with. And that mm-hmm. is exciting. And it's, um, um, it's to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, sex creates, um, um, creates just this amazing euphoric feeling mm-hmm. that just brings two souls together. It, um, it's a way to honor God, actually, you know, we're, we're using God's gift that he's given us and mm. sex is a way to honor the Lord and song of songs talks a lot about that, that, that idea. But, um, yeah, sex is just a physical expression of love and it comes with so much joy and so much love and so much, um, uh, excitement and bonding that it's truly just a way to say thank you God for this wonderful gift mm-hmm. that we express our love physically for one another mm-hmm. and for the listeners if you're saying man like because a lot of people have been hurt by sex right. they've been hurt they've been sexually abused they've been sexually molested maybe sexually violated maybe sexually um, uh toyed with, tease, whatever it is, and, and, and they might be listening and saying, this is all hogwash. What the, insert bunch of curse words here, are you talking about? And um, and my hope for you is this here, is understand that, that there is the ideal, and then, then there's the reality. The reality is that people, we are all sinful, and that people, the people who hurt you, I am so sorry for that because that is never what God intended. Uh, people that brought harm and hurt and issues, I mean, that's never what God intended. And, and, and my heart really does go out to you. And I did some videos on my YouTube channel if, they, if you want to check them out. Um, talks a little bit about some of these topics here. But, but for those of you in this category, understand this, that you can get through this. You can, um, you, you can thrive. You don't always have to be a victim. Mm-hmm. And there are people and groups and organizations and uh, there's communities out there that will help you thrive through this. Mm-hmm. And as you get stronger and as you start healing yourself, you're going to be in a position to start helping and healing others and helping put an end to these atro- atrocities and put an end to these evil acts because this should never have happened. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sorry that it did happen. Um, so, so there is the ideal and there is the reality. The ideal is everything I just talked about, and it's a gift from the Lord. But what happens is, the reality is, people abuse that gift all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I often tell young men who are getting ready to get married and such, because I'll try and talk with them about sex, because I had a guy who was willing to come alongside me and talk with me and give me the advice I needed, and it really helped out. So I try and be there for other guys, and and I'll ask them before we get married, I said, okay, now, you really do love her now, don't you? He said, yes, yes, I do. I said, okay, I'm going to tell you two things here about this. First off, I absolutely believe you, and I agree with you. You really do love her. That's true. Second thing, you really don't have a clue right now, either. <laughs> says, Look, once you get married and sex and there's a picture... It really does change everything. It brings love up to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say when someone goes after my princess, that it fills me with the greatest rage 
that I can imagine, like nothing else ever has, because we we just share that unique bond together. And yeah. I, when, I, when I talk about sex with people, I talk, like, I, I hesitate to use a word because it can sound so corny and such, but it, it's something magical. I just yeah, can't explain it, it anymore. I mean, you know, I've even got a book here I'm going to share with, uh, written by a pastor and his wife. And I've, I've been tempted to try this for a few times, but he says, if an atheist ever comes to you and wants proof that God exists, you just answer one word, sex. <laughs> That's the new, wave, the new wave of apologetics. <laughs> uh, I've been tempted to use that a few times just to see how it would work. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think maybe part of it also is because if we're going to understand how good sex is, we need to understand how good we are. And I don't mean how good we are in the bedroom and such, but our value as human beings, because we can make a mistake if we come to sex thinking sex will give us value. Yeah. Because... And I don't think sex will give anything new that's not there. It will instead increase whatever is already there. And if we've got negativity and such in distrust already, it could in fact increase that. Yeah. So, what are we worth? Well, I think the an idea of worth, if it wasn't for the cross, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be worth anything. Um, mm-hmm. So we are worth... Uh, um, everything because mm-hmm. of that sacrifice that Christ made for us. And, um, and that's the type of love we need to have for others is to serve and sacrifice ourselves for others. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, I think we start seeing uh, a revolution. So, you know, sometimes I think people think they're not worthy, so they might as well just give themselves to others. But that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Because Jesus wants to bring you redemption and healing so desperately. Mm-hmm. And, and so take, you know, do whatever you can to reach out to him and say, Lord, I need you um, because you are worth dying for. Everyone mm-hmm. is worth dying for. And so the person listening who thinks they're worth nothing Say, no, you're worth so much that Jesus died for you and changed the entire universe for you. My wife had someone who was a longtime friend of hers, about a decade or such, and I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen on my Facebook, but except for Sunday, every day of the week, I post a message about how I love my wife, and I post a marriage meme there. Oh, yeah, and, that's great. And one day I posted something about every woman being worth a lifetime commitment. So you don't need to sell yourself out before mm-hmm. you get married. You need to save sex because you are better than that. You are worth more than that. And one of her friends who wasn't doing that got angry with her and was saying, see, your husband, he thinks I'm not worth anything. He thinks I'm just a slut. And thinks like mm-hmm. no, he's not saying that at all. And she said, look, I've been married to him for all these years. I think I know what he means better than you do. You've only, you've <laughs> only met him twice. But in the end, this other person cut off a friendship because they didn't like that. And it was so hard because she'd ask me, well, 
how much do you think I'm worth? I said, I will tell you exactly what the medieval philosopher said. Every single human being alive is worth more than the entire universe. That is how much you are worth. Yeah. That's great. Now, one story you have in there about how much people are worth is the story of Brooklyn. Yes. We don't mean the city here. We mean a person. So, <laughs> what's her what's her story? Oh, Brooklyn story. Goodness gracious. Um I'm trying to think cuz I, I got I get there's so many different stories. I get them mixed up with some some of the other ones. Um Let's see here. Actually, I'm trying to... Okay. Mm. Yeah, there it is. So if anything could go wrong, it did go wrong in, in her life. Um, yes, that's right. Um, mm. when, when she was in sixth grade, Brooklyn's grandmother uh, passed away, and everything like after that moment just changed. Brooklyn's mom became depressed. She turned to drugs uh, in order to cope with it. Uh, and then Brooklyn's stepdad continued in his alcoholic ways. And so just it was like a volatile situation. And um, and so her mom would sneak out late at night to go to this drug dealer who lived next door. They'd get high and they'd hook up and they would do all that stuff. And um, and so this happened for months and months and months. You know, Brooklyn's mom would leave. Uh, her stepdad was there um, asleep. She would hook up with uh, Brooklyn's mom would hook up with the neighbor, uh, the drug dealer, and then all that stuff. Um, then then what ended up happening is um, Brooklyn would one night would stay, you know, have a sleepover. It'd be Brooklyn, her friends, and all that stuff, and her friend's brother, and they were all sleeping in one bed. You know, they're just young kids. So four or five in one bed. And then with Brooklyn, what happened was that this boy, um, uh, her her mom's best friend's son, um, was was molesting her. And um, and what happened was that uh, the next morning she woke up, she went to the then she went to the bathroom right when she found out and just kind of like hid away and never really like dealt with it just kind of like left it as it was um then i don't know if the this next part of the story happened before or after that but what happened was the dad finally caught brooklyn's mom cheating and so when she came um then the drug dealer neighbor what happened was he was over at the house one day because they figured that he didn't know but brooklyn's dad just beat this guy to a living pulp um, bloody, broke some ribs and all that stuff. And the kids are all there watching it, young kids and, and all that. And um, he just about killed this guy, like almost beat him to death. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, um, then, then Brooklyn gets molested and she tells her mom, her mom doesn't believe her. And her mom doesn't want to tell her best friend because she doesn't want to lose a best friend. So her mom just sweeps it under the rug. Her stepdad is out of the picture by this time because he wants nothing to do with them. And um, and so here she is thinking she has no value, no worth, no anything. Just absolutely is thinks she is worthless and has nothing to offer. Uh, she did confront. She did confront the the boy and even told the boy's dad and mom. 
And the dad says, well, look at how you dress. No wonder this happened to you. Oh, and mom said, the mom said, no, no, I don't believe you. He wouldn't do that. Um, and so right away you have this denial. You have these just these denials going on. And you have uh, the dad saying, look at you. You know, you brought this upon yourself, which is. Uh, so insensitive, so wrong, so ignorant, so and so common. Uh, sadly, yes, and so common. Abs yeah, it's sad. Absolutely, it's so sad how common it is. And so, so she just had to live with that, and she just had to deal with it. Um, and it wasn't until maybe ten years after that event or so that he actually came clean and and said, "Hey, I'm sorry that this happened. Um, you know, my dad." my dad did this to me um and um and she forgave him and she wanted she wanted to to move on and she wanted this to no longer be controlling her and so she she was able to get to the point where she she forgave him and um and it's a pretty remarkable story of everything that she's been through um because she, she, you know, after that, she was with one guy, then another guy, then another guy, and just not working out. But yet, you know, sleeping with them and all this sorts of stuff. So and she was volunteering at youth centers at the same time, too. Yeah, yeah. She was volunteering at a youth center at the same time. Um, you know, I think at her, either a youth center or, or at her youth group. And um, so she was trying to do what's right, but yet she'd always go back to her old ways. And I think the molestation plays into it. I think her upbringing with a dysfunctional uh, mom and functional stepdad and, and her, her biological dad not in the picture, I think that all plays into it. Um, and then, again, she met this guy, uh, met the guy, thought he was good, um, got her pregnant, and, um, and she tells him, and he says, like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, you know, like, like, I don't care what you do with it. I'm not going to take care of it. And so, once again, here's another case of a guy getting a girl pregnant, wanting nothing to do with with her or with the child, and then saying, "I'm done. I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore." And um, and so she ended up getting the abortion. And um, and in the book, I talk about you know kind of the details of the abortion, and it's just it's devastating the whole abortion process, and it's um, it's just again it's once again it's this gift that god gives us that when it's abused and when it's not used in its proper context there's all these consequences that follow because of it mm -hmm. you know i think uh, one of the things to stress also in the story is the importance of and i know people who have been abused don't really want to hear this but it is essential and that's the importance of forgiveness mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we could say it it's practically impossible to move past abuse like that without being capable of forgiving. Mm. Yeah, it's forgiveness is everything, and 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 for those who are abused or listening, definitely it is. You know, I mean, if it, this just happened, I mean, give yourself time. Yeah, uh, it definitely is a process, and and this is something to work through with your friends, with your counselor, to really help you get get to that point because. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, if we can't forgive someone, whether it's abuse, whether they hurt us, offended us, whether they stole from us, we are still giving them power. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's 
that's that's something that Jesus, when he died for us and he forgave us, he broke the power of sin, broke the power of death. Um, and on a smaller scale, that's what happens when we forgive. We we break the power someone has over us. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, my wife got hurt by someone very bad who at the time I considered a friend and such. And it was one of the most painful experiences I've seen because I saw her go from one of the best places ever in her life to one of the worst because of what this person did. And it took me the longest time to be able to forgive. I ended up calling a really good friend of mine and he, he helped me through the whole issue, and for anyone's interest, one of the things I think helped me get past it was, instead of having anger for a person, I ended up pitying him instead, yeah. because he'd had a chance to do so much good, and he blew it instead, and he'd never get to know the joy of seeing my wife happy because yeah. of his actions. And it, it took a long long time, because, I mean, <laughs> how he would ask me, she'd say, well, what kind of things were you thinking at first? And I'd say, oh, you do not want to know what kind of things I was thinking uh, at first. Right, yeah. What would you say to someone out there listening whose story is, I mean, none of them are exactly like, but someone whose story is like Brooklyn's? I would say that uh, <laughs> life is a journey, Mm-hmm. And um, you just happen to be on this journey where um, where life has just knocked you down really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And Brooklyn even remembered, you know, she even told me one day that, you know, like, no wonder people treat, here's what she said, no wonder people treat me bad. Um, I was, I was molested. I was been with all these different guys. I had an abortion, you know, I'm not worth anything. And, um, you know, that was from just her heart and, and this darkness that she was in for so long. So if you have a story like Brooklyn's where, um, maybe you brought the decisions on yourself, maybe you didn't, whatever the case, it, it doesn't matter. You are still loved. Do not believe in the lie that says you are not worthy. Don't believe the lie that says you are not valuable because because you are. And and also understand, please please understand that it doesn't have to always be this way. It doesn't you don't have to stay in this darkness and this dark depression. And there's seasons of life, and you might be in this season of darkness. But even in this season, reach out to a close friend. Reach out to a counselor. Reach out to a a pastor who knows what they're talking about. Reach out to, you know, trusted people who could help you through this process. Because in the story, the books, you'll read these stories of women who, uh, these young girls in their, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and just living in these dark times. But yet the great thing about the stories in the book here is that you get to see kind of where they are now. And that's the exciting part. So if you're in this dark time, do all you can to reach out to some caring people around you.
Yeah, I, I lost track of time with any of you because we are having such a good conversation on this topic that uh, I need to do two things at once here. Okay. One of them I normally do at a halfway point. I like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. We're talking with Brian Sands about his book, Everyone Loves Sex. So why wait? But if you're here next week, we're going to be talking about Christology again. And my guest is going to be the great Australian Bible scholar, Dr. Michael Bird, coming on. Talking about his book, Jesus the Eternal Son. We're going to be answering the claims of adoptionism. Now, I'd also like to let you know that when you're listening to Deeper Waters podcast, everything we do here is supported by listeners like you. I don't get paid for me to do anything like this. I don't pay my guests. I just get the books. I re- I read them and I review them and I have them come on. But if you'd like to support us in this, go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. And there's a link on the side where it says, Help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And when you click on what's in there, it takes you to Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are, that's the ministry of my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And you go there and you make your donation. And then you get in touch with me or Mike or Debbie or Ari and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they'll make sure we get that donation. It will be tax deductible. And you can also buy ebooks that I've written, such as A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian, or Coven, such as Defining Inerrancy, or Groundless, or God and Natural Disasters. And then, as you guys, we've talked some about romance. Now, something you might not have caught on, because let's face it, we guys are slow with romance. You might have caught on that women like jewelry. Well, we actually have a jewelry store at Deeper Waters. It's ran by my friend Lena Cluster with Premier Jewelers. And you access the jewelry store through us. If you need help doing that, get in touch with me. I'll tell you how. And you can buy some jewelry for that lady in your life. And whatever you buy... 25% 25% of what you buy will go to Deeper Waters. So, guys, you can buy something, and you can give it to that lady in your life to make up for that big screw-up that you recently did. Or, you can buy some of that lady in your life to make up for that big screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Brian, do you have an organization you'd like to see, see people donate to? Yeah, um, one of the organizations we're heavily connected with is called Amor Ministries, A-M-O-R, Amor Ministries. And uh, we've been teamed up with them for many, many years. And we go down to Mexico probably six times a year with them. And uh, this organization started uh, started by Gala and Scott Congdon about 35, almost 40 years ago now. And they're actually alumni of Hope International University, where I'm the campus pastor. And uh, over those years, they built over 20,000 homes. They have built over 400 churches. Um, and um, they're doing phenomenal work for the kingdom. And, uh, and they work closely with the local pastors in the communities of Tecate and Tijuana, uh, as well as in communities in the Yucatan Peninsula. 
and there's amazing things going on. So if you want to support and donate, just go to amor.org, A-M-O-R.org, and um, you could donate to them as well. It's a phenomenal uh, missions organization. You know, you've got a chapter in the book also about sex and love. And it, it makes me think of something that Sheila Ray Gregor of uh, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum has on her site, where she says, I know many, many couples that have had sex, but not many of them have made love. Yeah. What is the difference between sex and love? Yeah, I think the quick, simple answer is that, um, uh, you know, you'll know like when you, when you, when you experience it. Um, sex obviously is just the, um, is the physical, it's, it's just the physical bonding of two people, um, within that, uh, lots of times there's sex and there's no love. It's just, it's just for physical fulfillment and, and all of that. But when you have sex and you have love, you know, you know, I mean, you have this, this unconditional love where no matter what you do, uh, what you look like, um, whatever, I'm going to love you regardless. Mm-hmm. A, you know, the, the type of love that actually follows through with the vows we made on our wedding day. Um, when that is coupled with sex, then it is that beautiful euphoric experience we were talking about. When it's just the physical and just the sex, um, it misses out on so much. Because mm-hmm. um, people think, oh, they have the best sex. You have to have like, you know, the supermodel people, the bodybuilders, whatever it is. But no, I would yeah. contend that the best sex comes in a committed relationship with yeah. two people who absolutely love one another. And that's where true fulfillment comes from. Uh, the looks is just physical, it's just surface. Um, and what love does is it gets beyond all that and gets down to a deep emotional part of the soul that um, you can only get at when there's, when there's absolute love between the two people. Yeah, I often get very, very amazed when I think about it, because, I mean, you can't see me on a webcam, but if you could, I'm a guy who's like this uh, 115, 120-pound scrawny little weakling here and <laughs> such. And uh, I go, I think, yeah, um, no chance whatsoever. Not going to happen, even though I really want it to. And... Somehow, my wife came to see something different in me. Although, she would tell you when she first saw my picture on Facebook, she thought, oh my gosh, what a total nerd. (laughs) Of course, I take that as a compliment. But all I know is that, you know, I don't have to understand, but somehow she likes what she sees, and that gives me a total great wonderful freedom around her. There was no shame whatsoever. Now, if I could get a chance, would I love to look better? Heck yeah. Of course I would. (laughs) But it really doesn't matter that much in the long run. I mean, what matters is that commitment is already there. And the sex is just for further cementing and reacting out of that commitment. I think one of the great dangers of our age is we have reduced sex to just a physical act and just something couples do to have fun. Yeah. And such. And it's so much more I mean it is a physical act, it is fun, but it's more. Hmm. Absolutely. It's so much more. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, what do you think is being missed entirely? I mean, if you watch sitcoms in such a day, it, it seems natural when, you know, you just love one another and you just start sleeping together. And interesting, many times you can be sleeping together before you really know if you love each other or not, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing that's missing is consequences. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, <laughs> you could have this and there's no emotional consequences, there's no physical consequences. It's just the next episode starts and then that's it. Um, and, and it happens all the time. Um, but in real life experience, everyone knows there's consequences to these actions. Um, and, and so I'm not saying don't watch that stuff or anything like that. I'm just saying as you watch those things, just yeah. keep the filter on that, you know, yeah. um, uh, they're, they're missing out on some of that stuff. And if your parents and your kids are, you know, at an appropriate age, whatever age that is for you guys, um, don't be afraid to watch these things with your kids. Actually watch it with them and talk to them about, about what you just watched. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to them about the, the good stuff and the bad stuff in it and, and help teach them to kind of filter what they see through the lens of Christ. And, um, and um, as opposed to being afraid of it, let's engage our culture because um, because this is where we live right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think people don't realize that the consequences are big because whenever sex happens, it really does change everything. Uh, I mean, I know for sure my and Ali's relationship was never the same. Once that happened, because it's really in many ways the greatest kind of trust you can give someone that you have your bodies connect with one another together Mm -hmm. and there is absolutely nothing hidden whatsoever. Yeah. 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 Now, you have a chapter in here then also about... uh, how much is your selfie worth? Are you talking about taking a picture and selling it on eBay or what exactly? <laughs> yeah, it depends on uh, yeah, who wants to buy that picture. Yeah, so the whole idea of the selfie um, chapter, and I, I really love this chapter because actually <laughs> a little background to it is I had focus groups with, with college students. I had these focus groups talking to them about the content of the book, the material, all the research I was doing. And, and so – they really help shape and, and uh, refine the book a bit. So I'm thankful to all the students who, who were a part of that. And a lot of them I mentioned in the book there. But, but one of the uh, students um, that helped me with this chapter, um, this idea, this selfie chapter, um, there's a great guy. His name is Matt. And, and that's his real name. And, um, and the idea is this here is that we take pictures we put filters on them. We uh, we get the right angle. We'll take we'll take twenty to thirty photos, you know, the same pose, just to get that that one photo that we really like. And mm-hmm. then we'll get that filter to make us look really good, strong, and make us look thinner, make us look stronger, make us look whatever. Where you know, we'll hide our hide our quote unquote flaws. And then we post it on there and we get all these likes and go, yeah, look at us. Look how great we are. Uh, and the idea of the selfie chapter is that we, that's not who we are. 
we're mm-hmm. we're not the person who who have those filters on. We are flawed, and and the challenge of this chapter is to realize that community is so important. Community mm-hmm. is everything because within community we can't put these filters on. Within community we can't put these. Um, uh, we can't. Uh, we you know there's so many things we can't get away with because these are these are our friends, our family, who they really know who we are. And in uh, authentic community, no filters are allowed because um, because that's not who you really are. And when we're when we are in authentic community, like how God designed and like how we see in the early days of the church how important community was, um, we are able to really um, understand who we are in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. God has put people around us, a family of believers around us to encourage us, to build us up. And when we um, do that, uh, when we live in community, it's, it's, we're almost forced to live an authentic life. Mm-hmm. But, but with that comes more freedom. Because when we try to post pictures with filters and try to portray things that we're not that's so surface level, but what community does, it gets underneath the surface. So what does that have to do with sex? Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. Sorry. The, the idea is this here, is that, that if we are going to, um, in terms of community, uh, we need a community around us to, um, to, to help us in this journey of life. Um, because, because um, when when we just kind of go off on our own and try mm-hmm. to find fulfillment on our own, lots of times we'll go and seek the sexual encounter. Lots of times we'll go and we'll seek the um, seek drugs or or over drinking or whatever it is because we want to be fulfilled. Uh, and lots of times that fulfillment does come in these sexual encounters. But the idea of the selfie of the community is that it is so much more uh, than that. And if we want to be faithful to God, um, we've got to surround ourselves in a healthy community to help us grow, to help us mature. Um, uh, because, because in essence, that's how we're created. That's how we're designed. That's how we're made. We're made for connection. We're made for intimacy. These are just, that's how we're wired. Um, and when we're in these healthy communities, it gives us strength and endurance to live the life he has called us to live, to live a life of mm-hmm. sexualness, to live a life of holiness, to live a life of sanctification, whatever phrase you want to use in there. We're able to do that through community. And in that chapter, I tell this story of um, a, a great case of um, uh, one of the best instances I saw of, of community was at an AA meeting, um, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And it was, I had the honor to go um, and watch um, uh, one of my former students named Elaine go and receive her four-year sobriety uh, chip. And it was such an, such an honor to, to go and be a part of that. So I went and one of the administrators of the university went with me and because uh, he was invited as well. And to see the community there, the, the trust they had with one another was something I've never seen before. And it blew my mind because I've been in the church for a long time now. But when I saw this community, it's 
I've never seen anything like it in the church before. And so I think, so one of the reasons I wrote the chapter was to encourage us as the church to step up our game mm. and, and to be brothers and sisters, true brothers and sisters to those that we know, to those who are around us. Um, I, I want to encourage us to, to be the hands and feet of Christ here on, on earth as we're living, living in this world here. And, and, and I wanted to challenge people in this chapter that, that within community, we really help figure out what we want in life. We really have a support system to take us to the next level. We really have a group of men and women who, who could show us what life really could be. And when we have those components in, um, it's just amazing what God can do in and through us. Now, with about 20 minutes or so left for our interview, we really, really need to go to a very dark side of a story, but this one has to be brought out. And these are stories of people like Teresa and Anna that you mm -hmm. write about in a book. And that's the dark world of sex trafficking. Yep. Yeah, Teresa's story of sex, man, Teresa's story began when she was 15. She grew up in a, um, an upper middle class suburb in Detroit. And she was a sophomore, a sophomore in high school. <laughs> um, and, and she's going to high school and there is these older guys, there are these seniors in high school. So they're 12th graders, she was 10th graders. Of course, she was taken by him because they're older guys. They could drive, and she thought they were handsome. Over the course of a semester or so, they started getting to know her, started talking to her, chatting with her, befriending her. Well, this went on for some time, like a semester or so, and then one day she was walking home, and one of the guys was like, hey, do you want to ride home? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'd love a ride home. And then he doesn't go to her house. He ends up taking her to his place or his parents' place or, or whatever the situation was there. And she goes, oh, no, my house is down the street. He says, oh, no, I know. I Just just come hang out with us. We're just hanging out for a little bit. And uh, just come on in and just, just have a drink with us, we'll, you know, and then, then I'll take you home. But it's just fun hanging out with you, that type of deal. And, and, and these yellow flags and red flags start going off in her mind. And, but she felt coerced to do it. And so they went inside and they gave her uh, a drink, a Coca-Cola, Coke, Coke but they, they put something in it where she drank it and she's incapacitated. <clears throat> and while she's incapacitated, they gang raped her. They took pictures of her. And when she came to be, they said, you belong to us now. If you tell your parents, we will kill them. We know who your parents are. We know who your grandparents are. We know all of this. If you tell anybody, we will kill you. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick you up every night, about midnight or so. And we're going to take you and you are our slave and you're going to sleep with men. And that's what they did for some time. And they would pick her up around midnight. She would she would be their slave and, and work for them from about 12 to 3 or so. And they would take her to anywhere from dingy motel rooms to mansions and anywhere where there was a, um, a demand, they would supply this woman and they would, she would have to, she'd be forced to sleep with them. And this happened, happened for some, some time. Well, then 
sometime later, she was in a hotel room with about six or seven guys. They, they raped her. They left, and her traffickers weren't back yet. And she just had a feeling they were going to come back and they were going to kill her. But she got to her senses. She started walking home. And as she's walking home, she, um, um, or she, I think she's just aimlessly walking. Um, uh, a waitress saw her and, and realized she needed help. So she called the authorities. Authorities got involved and got her and her family to safety. And, 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 I, and, and from what I understand, justice was brought to those traffickers. Devastating, horrific life, almost life-stealing acts that was forced upon her. She started an organization called SOAP, Saving Our Adolescents from Prostitution. Mm-hmm. And what she does in Detroit is she'll talk with these motel owners and say, hey, I'd like to put these bars of soap in your showers because on the soap there, it says, you know, it has the hotline number that they could call to get help. Um, because lots of times women in this situation are not aware of what's going on, not aware that there's people out there who could help them. But yet there are. So so that's the, their ministry that they do. So she turns something horrific, something evil, something just um, destructive into something where she's like, you know what, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to try and save as many women, young girls as I can from from sex trafficking. Mm. Yep. There are so many tragedies in that story. Not only what happened to this girl is absolutely horrific, but I think there are teenage guys in high school that are already caught in the world of being sellers of women, as it were. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that's just astounding. I mean, when I was in high school, I was working at a movie theater. What are these guys doing already that they're raking in no doubt, so much money by selling women. I mean, what happens to, has to happen to a guy to get to that lever? Yeah, yeah. And that's all the stuff that is underneath the surface. Um, mm-hmm. That's all the stuff that um, that sin is just com- compounded on. Um, you 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 look at the hurts of people. You look at why they're you know do what they do. I think I think we could go back and look at the hurt that has happened to them. This is um, a book with a phenomenal title called hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. So hurt people, hurt people. And that's exactly true. And, um, and that's why you and I, and, and the listeners are called to bring justice to where we are, to bring hope to wherever we go, to bring peace to wherever we go, to bring, um, love to wherever we go um and and to be aware and in regards to sex trafficking and things like that we've got to be aware of the signs of sex trafficking and just this is in my book here some of the signs are um of human trafficking are this if someone's not free to leave or come and go as he or she wishes is under 18 and is uh providing commercial sex acts is in commercial sex industry and has a pimp or a manager is unpaid, paid very little or paid through only tips, works excessively long and and or un, unusual hours, 
is not allowed breaks or suffers under unusual restrictions at work, uh, owes a large debt and is unable to pay it off, was recruited through false promises concerning the nature and conditions of his or her work. It's, 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 it's our job as followers of Christ to be aware of sex trafficking. Uh, I live in Orange County, and Orange County is one of the main hubs of sex trafficking all throughout the United States, uh, more than L.A. County. Uh, more than Northern California, um, Orange County is the hub because people will pay top dollar for for women that are their sex slaves. Mm-hmm. Well, surely this is something that's an isolated incident. It's an exception. I mean, sex trafficking, is it really that common here in the modern Western America? Yeah, I would love to say, no, it's not. It only happens in countries like that. But um, you look at all all the studies done, and it happens right here in our backyard. Um, a great website to go to is the Polaris Project, P-O-L-A-R-I-S, mm-hmm. P-O-L-A-R-I-S, the Polaris Project. Um, and you'll see um, statistics after statistics of all of this happening right here in our backyards. Um it is a multi, multi-billion dollar industry, and um, sex trafficking is the world's uh, second fastest growing crime, mm-hmm. and it is something that we really need to take a notice of and get involved with and be aware and know the signs around us, because if we don't, um, it's going to happen right underneath our nose. So two good websites I'll recommend. One is the polarisproject.org, P-O-L-A-R-I-S, P-R-O-J-E-C-T.org, polarisproject.org. And the other one is called Stop the Traffic. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked earlier about pornography in the show, and there are some people out there who I'm sure would in no way want to support sex trafficking and be totally opposed to it, but unknowingly, if they're watching pornography, they could very well be supporting sex trafficking, couldn't they? Yeah, uh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And there's many, many women who have come through um, the pornography industry and are speaking out against that, saying it is more common than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also remember that... Uh, you talk about Trim Longman. He wrote the book God Loves Sex with Dan Allender, I believe it is. Yeah. And Dan was once with my father-in-law together, and they drove by a truck stop. Mm. And he and Dan said a little prayer, and he said, I always do that every time I pass by a truck stop, because that's where so much sex trafficking takes place. Wow. Yep. So, wow. What do you think someone can do if they're hearing this and they're either invo- caught up in the whole sex trafficking thing where they're a victim of it or they suspect someone they know is a victim of it? Well, yeah, if you suspect someone is a victim of it, um, call the authorities. It is better to call the authorities and get their advice and uh, have them involved than not. Um, there was an instance where I had to do a welfare check on somebody. So I had to call the police and a welfare check is when you think somebody is suicidal and, um, 
you haven't heard from them. You call the police. They'll do a welfare check and go to the door. Um, I haven't heard from her, and it's a, it's a long story. But uh, long story short, I called the police. If she was fine, there was no issue and everything like that. But I do not regret um, making that phone call. She was embarrassed, and, 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 and I guess I may have been a little embarrassed too, you know, but, but I do not regret it one bit, and I would do the same thing over again because, um, because um, we, we need to err on the side of caution. So if you suspect someone's doing uh, involved in human trafficking of any sort, call the authorities. Um, and um, um, I'd say also stop supporting the porn industry uh, pornography desensitizes us to the horrors of sex slaves and the abuse of women. Uh, and pornography really dehumanizes people. That's what mm. porn does. Um, uh, I'd also say get involved in human traffic organizations. Like I mentioned, stop the traffic. Um, it's T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K, traffic. Stop the traffic is how they spell it in the Polaris Project. Um, and get involved with organizations like that because they probably have uh, chapters or groups right in your backyard. Um, and um, uh, three, create an awareness group. Create a small group about human trafficking in your area. Uh, get a group of five or ten people together who are committed to doing this. And there's curriculum um, um, online at, at these different websites. I mentioned the Polaris Project, Stop the Traffic, and even the International Justice Mission. It's another great one. They have curriculum, too, that you could use. Uh, and the fourth one, and this one isn't a trite saying, but pray. You know, how often, like you're saying, you know, Nick, that's a great example. Like, how often do we pray for for the women and the boys in the human trafficking industry? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be praying for it. And if you are in this and you're involved in this and you, you don't know where to help, reach out to one of these organizations, the Polaris Project, or Stop the Traffic. Um, and or the International Justice Mission, and and reach out to them and say, hey, I need I, I need help. I don't know what to do, um, and and they will get help to you, and they will protect you, and um, it doesn't always have to be this way. And what would you say now to the young man, young woman out there listening? They're not involved in sex trafficking, but they're single. They're wanting to wait for marriage, there are still versions at this point, and what message would you give them about sex? Sex is amazing, and it is uh, phenomenal, without mm-hmm. a doubt. But it has its proper context, and you will do yourself a world of good. And I know it's difficult for you to think past this present moment, um, but as you think long-term, when you make wise decisions now, it's only going to set you up for success in the future. Do all you can to make wise and good and honoring choices and decisions now because you're going to set yourself up for so much success in the future. Many, many, many students I talked to made many, many, many mistakes when they were 15, 14, 13. And if they could go back and say, I would do it over again, most of them would say they would. But obviously they can't, and so what they do is they kind of they work through it. But if you're there and you haven't made these mistakes yet, continue making wise decisions. Continue asking God to give you wisdom. Continue surrounding yourself with a healthy community, because when you do that, uh, you're setting yourself up for success. 
When Brian, we've come to a time where we have to start bringing things to a close. Do you have a blog, a website, an email, a way people can get in touch with you if you want to find out more? Yeah, you go my uh, you go to my website. It's everyonelovesex.org. Everyonelovesex.org. E-V-E-R-Y-O-N-E-L-O-V-E-S-E-X.org. It's a clean site, I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just don't go to everyonelovesex.com. <laughs> just kidding. There's nothing there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at least not right now yes exactly exactly <laughs> everyone loves sex.org and then on it um there's information there's videos uh informational videos mm-hmm. about um the topics that we've been talking about um and and eventually there's going to be a uh, probably the next few weeks or so I'd, I'd imagine there's going to be a small group curriculum on there if you wanted to read the book and go through it with the group you could download small group curriculum and it's a video curriculum so you can read a, a chapter or two a week and then go over the uh content with using this uh, video the, these videos to help you walk through the process so um you can buy my book through amazon barnes and noble online um it's in uh um, lifeway christian bookstores all across the nation um and um and if you if you're saying man this book sounds amazing and you have a bookstore and it's not there tell them they need to get in stock (laughs) but everyone loves sex.org is the best way to get a hold of me you can even contact me uh through that website and um and get my book on amazon and barnes noble so you can get on the kindle you get on the nook i mean you can get it in so many different forms do you have uh, any final message you'd like to leave today for the Deeper Waters audience? That God's ways, it, it, yeah, I, it's almost as if God knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Funny that, how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if God knew what he was doing. And and when we align with that, um that's where fulfillment comes from. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy and things like that. Cause I've done things God's way and things have gotten worse for me in terms of the, um, um, you know, in terms of like, uh, situations that, that, that I was in at the time trying to live for God, do what's right, but things got worse. Um, but in the long run, um, it's, it's, that's where fulfillment comes from. And even when I was, in that situation. Um, so a quick, just a quick example, I'll explain this. Um, you know, when, when I bought my condo years ago, um, you know, um, uh, this was, uh, 2006. So before the market crash the first time, um, they, 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 you know, I was gonna, um, they're like, okay, you could do a stated income loan or a non-stated income loan. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't making enough at the time to um uh to to get a really low interest rate um but my my credit score was so good that i could just say oh i make 150,000 or whatever it was or whatever i put on it and they wouldn't verify my income and this is one of the reasons things went downhill but um and i would have saved like 2 or 3% on my uh on my mortgage which would have saved me hundreds and hundreds of dollars every single month but I decided to do um, the uh, the stated income loan. So, hey, here's what I make. And then they go, okay, thank you very much. Here's your 8.75% interest rate. 
um, on a $236,000 condo. And it was a lot more money than the 6% or 5% interest rate that I probably would have got if I would have said I made a lot more money. So yeah, so that's what I mean. Uh, you know, I did, I wanted to honor God with that decision. It did, you know, obviously affect me every single month because, because of it. And then a year later I refied, but I'll tell you what, I never regretted doing that. I never would go back to do it because no matter what, we got to live the, the, our lives the best we can to honor, honor Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always going to be easy, but that's our, our, our goal as Christians is to honor Christ. Mm-hmm. The book is Everyone Loves Sex on Amazon. The Kindle is $9.99. The paperback is $14.97. Brian, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Nick, thank you for chatting with me. It was good chatting, and uh, I, uh, I'm really honored you uh, you invited me on. And I can mind when that next week we're going to have Dr. Michael Bird on talking about his book, Jesus, the Eternal Son. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off. <laughs>